0: April 29th is International Dance Day, and uh, that's a day that highlights the importance of the one language that everyone in this world can speak, the inherent language of our bodies and souls, our ancestors and our children, dancing. As Akram Khan, the 2009 Dance Day Ambassador, said, This day is dedicated to every god, guru, grandparent, and everyone who ever taught or inspired us, to everybody of every creed, of every color, and every culture that carries the traditions of its past into stories of the present and dreams of the future. This day is dedicated to dance, to its myriad uh, effects, and to its immense power to express, unite, and delight. So, around the world, people are celebrating International Dance Day. And right here in Vancouver, at the Scotiabank Dance Center downtown, uh, Julie Labelle and Miriam Colin are curated a public. Unconference and festival that's called the Dance Demo <coughs> Camp Project. The idea brings together dancers from across BC and they come to Vancouver to, to, to discuss dance and provide space and time to develop new dance projects and pass along information and ideas. I spoke with Julie over the phone earlier today to find out exactly how everyone down at the Scotiabank Dance Centre is celebrating International Dance Day today. And here is our conversation. Julie Labelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you! No problem. So, can you start off by letting me know what's going on at the Scotiabank Dance Centre today? Well, today's International
1: Dance Day um, and uh, it's celebrated every year and the dance centre is always part of it. Uh, to this year, our, one of our projects being selected It's called the Dance Demo Camp. But there's also videos being presenting, uh, presented in, in the dance center, in the lobby, and also in the dancers' lounge on the fifth floor. Um, so there's a, a video, Twisted Moments, mm-hmm. um, being presented in the lobby. Mm-hmm. It's an installation by Marta Carter. And mm-hmm. there's also... Um, La Douche uh, oh no that's around town actually Um, and there's a video being presented by Claire French in the dancers lounge Um, Power Power dance class Mm -hmm. it's Fancy Dancers Shama Priya and Yela Carpenter lead an open level class for anyone interested in learning about power dance at 5pm
0: cool Um, so you and Miriam Colvin have um, choreograph have coordinated this dance demo camp. What is the project about? So dance demo camp is an
1: unconference. It's a project based on um, software developer have have uh, worked out this thing before us, way mm-hmm. before us. Um, it's a way to exchange ideas in an open environment mm-hmm. uh, without hierarchy mm-hmm. and uh, also on the day of on the spot instead of preparing and creating. Um so there's an idea and a format, work ideas mm-hmm. and to feel out what's what's interesting to us mm. right now as a dance community. So that's the idea. So we we kinda remodeled it for dancers. Okay, so what, what kind of ideas, new ideas, have you guys been talking about today? Well, there was really great ideas. Um, the two ideas that have been voted for are the one from Melanie
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and the one from Justine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie is Already, working uh, we'll get to- on the ephemeral and, um, uh, and the object. Um, she's interested by uh, the idea that um, the preciousness Um, object Mm -hmm. and something we forget so she's taking photos of her process uh, and she's going to create a dance structure that used memory using the photos as a score Um, so why are we keeping this why we're not so this is her whole process. So she, she found an interesting format to explore that today. So we'll be presenting that at four. Mm-hmm. And Justine is interested in all the relationship. When we talk to each other as humans, we tend to copy uh, physically what we do, nod, uh, move our shoulders, copy the same stance. Right. So she's interested in that, and that's what they're developing. So they have this all this yawning dance that they do uh-huh. with the audience at the beginning. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, and it's, it's really interesting, because we get caught into it like it's overwhelming mm, it's we, contagious yes completely so it's very, really, very really fun so yeah so uh, after we did select the ideas we uh, p- we split the group and we're just working this out for two hours and mm-hmm. then presenting it for whatever we have uh, found out during the day that's really exciting and this is the first time a conference like this has happened in i dance. think so, I think mm. so. i've did a little bit of research in Vancouver. Though it happened in art mm-hmm. uh, with the New Form Festival um, at Emily Carr's right. for three years. And uh, but in art, like you can bring things, you can show video, you can show art. You, it's more about talking and viewing or hearing. Right. For dancers, it's not working so well. So we have to switch it around so we could actually physically do it mm-hmm. it's a new model for expanding new ideas in a supportive engaged group of dance artists
0: that's amazing mm-hmm. um so how about you julie how did you, how did you get involved in dance from the beginning in dance uh well i
1: did um, been dancing a long time and <sighs> i did a um uh, bachelor arts degree mm-hmm. at l'Université du Québec at Montréal. Mm-hmm. I graduated in 98, so I've been around for um, a bit over 10 years. Right. And I do lots of community dance,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, do projects like the mobile clubbing around Vancouver, mm-hmm. and I do um, I find I'm interested in finding formats for and platforms for exchanging dance ideas or dance as I understand it, it is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: how did you get hooked up with... Uh, Miriam Colvin. Miriam, Miriam is an fr- old friend of mine. Mm-hmm. She's. I met her when she was staying in Minneapolis. Okay. And she's an American dance artist, but now living in Smitters, Northern BC. Aha. Uh-huh. So, and she's developing dance, community dance, uh, very working really, really hard over in Smitters. So she uh, thanked to Maiden in BC in the dance center. They brought her back here in Vancouver for uh, so we can work together on implementing, developing the idea of the dance demo camp today. So, yeah, I'm really fortunate. And do you
0: think that this is going to be an event that happens every year on International Dance Day from now on? Well, right now it's a prototype,
1: mm-hmm. and people are kind of, consultants. uh, Participants are like really consultants. They'll let us know by the end of the day is this a good idea? Should we do this again? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, is it valuable? We think that it is but we're not sure. Uh, We would like to develop a better version for Dance in Vancouver which is an event that happened in November Mm -hmm. through the Dance Center where presenters come into town to get to know uh, different companies, different artists here in Vancouver. So it might be a really good way to present younger dancers or choreographers that didn't get in Dance in Vancouver, the big platform. Mm-hmm. So, so we think that might be a, a good tool for for doing that and starting discussions between artists and and um, and presenters before there's even a product yeah. uh, in in the in the going.
0: So. So, if people want to come out and see, see something tonight, I know you said that Melanie's presentation is going on at 4. Yes, it's, it's all at 4 o'clock. This and then afternoon, yeah. there's something else at 5. And this um, is. Oh. oh, at 5 o'clock, it's another it's a class, it's a dance class. So, oh. we'll
1: be over by 5 o'clock. Okay. Mm.
0: But is there anything on this evening? Like, if people want to get out tonight and uh, go, either go dancing or support International Dance Day somehow, what would you suggest they do?
3: Mm,
1: well, I would suggest, are there some things until 6pm around town choreographic traces footprints mm-hmm. on the sidewalk okay. trace choreographic sequence created by leading leading Canadian dance artists provided courtesy of the regroupement québécois de la danse in Montreal so it's until 6pm but I think that the trace will still be there it's located on Granville Island okay. and there's uh, things from 1 to 4 this afternoon it's la douche is roving and vulgaring in, uh, in the street cool. but it's finished is four for there's an exhibition of dance book uh, in at the dance center in its ongoing through up uh, April.
3: Library?
1: Uh, and I oh sorry this is at the Vancouver Public Library. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. Julie, thank you so much for
0: talking to me today.
1: Yeah, hey, welcome. Happy international dance day. Take advantage of this day to dance in your Bathroom and your living room, everywhere, and notice
0: what uh, what kind of dance move you do through your day. Yeah, it's something that everyone does all around the world in every culture in every language. Dan- dance speaks to everyone. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and thank uh, you so much. I thank you very much. Kay. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was my conversation with Julie Labelle, one of the co-organizers of the Dance Demo Camp project, which happened at the Scotiabank Dance Center in Vancouver earlier today. Now I'm going to head into my first musical track before for for this show today, and hopefully I'm going to play a couple of tracks at least. I'm dedicating all of today's music to the great friends I've made over the past two years here in Vancouver. School has come to an end for the year, and uh, leases are ending on Friday, and a lot of the graduates of UBC's programs, the master's programs, etc., and the undergraduate programs, will be hightailing it out of the city to begin their summer plans. Tomorrow night, a listening party will be playing at the Media Club with Ghost House and CITR's very own Chris-erific. So I've for my first dedication of friends who are going far away... Here's a track off their latest disc, Who We Are Missing. This is Before the Night by Listening Party on CITR 101.9 FM.
3: So keep your hand too to
4: Good things always end so soon
5: On May 12, 2009, B.C. is faced with a provincial election. Students should vote. When we speak up, they will listen.
6: Vote for candidates who support a reduced tuition to increase access to better education, better transit, and adequate funding to universities. On May
0: 12, vote in the B.C. elections.
6: This is a message brought to you by the AMS External Office, authorized by the AMS, registered sponsor under the Elections Act, 604 2050
0: Welcome back to the arts on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Tracy Fuller, and to cap off my coverage of International Dance Day 2009, which is, in fact, today, April 29th, I've got two dance reviews from my fabulous arts critic, Melanie Cooksdorf. Melanie and I attended two dance shows this past weekend. The first was the Hubbard Street Dance Company from Chicago and they performed at the Vancouver Playhouse. And the second was Edam's new show called Repose, which is now on at the Western Front. Here are Melanie's reviews.
7: I'm going to take you back to the weekend where I saw two different shows on two different nights. And let's do a bit of a comparative essay shall we and dare to compare so on friday night i was at another one of those dance house productions the production company that is bringing in acts from all over the world high level dancing amazing shows basically if it's dance house you should just go so who came on friday hubbard street dance chicago A company that's been around for decades, and one that is staffed with lots of dancers, and they're all really good. And then on Saturday night, also good dancers, but completely different. Not so much about traditional dance technique. We had three pieces that night at Edom, so hosted by Peter Bingham. There's one of his pieces. He does contact improv, so it's very athletic and really creative ways of using your weight and lifting people, and they're also good at it. That it's crazy in a way that these things are possible. The next piece was called Highgate by Tara Sheehan Friedenberg, mostly known for doing solos on herself. Um, she's also quite theatrical, and she took three dancers and put them in Victorian funeral costumes that were actually sewn together so the three of them were attached the entire time and did a morbid look at victorian traditions about death and the third piece that night was by barbara bourget and she's known for a company called kokoro and they do buto buto is a japanese kind of contemporary dance that is often very slow and is recognizable by the dancers not usually wearing much clothing with their bodies painted white and sometimes with their heads shaped as well. Those are the three pieces and you know if I had to pick an evening that was more memorable and this is not just me giving Vancouver bias I would have to say the night at Edom was. I really really did love going to Hubbard Street Chicago but there's not much That resonates with me after the fact. I really enjoyed watching it. The dancing was great. Everything was beautiful and pretty. But that was kind of it. It was really beautiful and pretty. Not super moving and really not pushing any boundaries. The first and last piece I did like, and I liked them quite a bit. The first one was funny. And it's so delicious when dance Allows itself to be funny and does it well. It was on the slapstick side, which it took me a little while to warm up to the whole slipping on a banana peel equals funny equation. But seeing a whole bunch of men in tutus and a woman in a tuxedo actually did win me over. And the thing that really made the piece excellent is that sure, it was funny. Sure, people fell down. But in between, their dancing was perfect. Perfect. Meanwhile, at Edom, Tara and Friedenberg, usually you see her doing work on herself, and she's really funny. I, I missed the humor in this piece. The Victorian funeral thing was interesting, and the, and the sound effects of crows, but it kind of felt like they were robots, and they just kept repeating these gestures, but that the gestures didn't actually mean anything. And they're just these crazy women in crazy outfits, but they didn't go through a journey, really. And for Peter Bingham's piece, it was one of my favorite pieces of his that I've seen lately, and it's a new one. He's been doing a lot of reworks, and I'm very pleased to see that he is upping the ante. And then Barbara Bourget's piece was a duet with Zine Kwan, and in the notes, in the program notes, she wrote that her mother died during the process of building the piece. And that loss that she experienced really came through in the piece, the one thing about her piece was that she was also trying to integrate some flamenco. Buto meets flamenco. It didn't ruin the piece for me. I felt like there were some interesting things there. But the flamenco flourishes kind of went into a realm that was more silly and didn't seem appropriate. Flamenco and Buto, maybe they just shouldn't go together. But that evening, it left me thinking. And while I was stunned by the the beauty of hubbard street dance chicago and quite nervous around the dancers at the reception afterwards i don't think i'm going to be thinking about that show <laughs> after after this review <laughs> for the arts report i'm melanie Cookstorf. back to you tracy thank
0: you melanie as always
7: melanie Cookstorf, my fan freaking
0: tastic dance critic here she's um she's quite a gal actually um in order to fully appreciate uh international dance day this year i decided to get involved now i i i i will confess to having some dance training from my youth and i'm talking about like pre-vancouver pre uh intellect youth but um Uh, Yesterday, I decided uh, I might as well jump right in and um, try it out For, for the sake of International Dance Day, of course, and for the sake of you, the listeners. I mean, on your behalf, in case you can't get out to actually celebrate yourself or do a little dancing, even if you're just dancing in your living room or in your kitchen or in your shower. I decided to, to get involved. And um, seeing these two pieces with Melanie really inspired me to get back to uh, the modern dancing that I enjoyed so much as a child. So Melanie and I hit up Edom Dance on yesterday morning to attend Peter Bingham's uh, Contact Improvisation class. Now, I don't know if you people out there know what Contact Improvisation is, so I've pulled up the definition from Wikipedia. Contact improvisation is a dance technique in which, quote, points of physical contact provide the starting point for exploration through movement improvisation. Contact improvisation is a form of dance improvisation and is one of the best known and most characteristic forms of postmodern dance. So, that's quite a quite a brainful and a mouthful and uh it certainly was an amazing class. Uh there most of the other people there, there I would say there's about 15 people there. Uh most of them were professional dancers. Peter Bingham himself was dancing with us and he's a well-known choreographer from Vancouver. Um so it was about two hours and we started off by doing a lot of sort of warm-up ex- exercises on the floor, warming up our muscles, tensing and releasing energy and um, creating a sort of C position with our bodies and doing a lot of roles and exploration of where momentum and movement break a- take us in, a, in on our own in solo dancing. And then afterwards, we were paired up with other people in the room. And I got paired up with a very well known, I'm not going to mention his name, a very well known um, dancer from Vancouver. Uh, He's been on the Queen Elizabeth stage many times, stages around Vancouver, lauded very well known um, dancer. And I, I must admit, I was a little bit nervous, let's say, to uh, be doing contact improv with him, but he was so super nice. And uh, for a good 20 minutes, it was all just, we called it nuzzling. And uh, it was just about finding space on each other's bodies and rolling over and shifting weight and and release and tension and and the the transfer of energy from one body to another and how that, that moves and forms and how um, a body can respond to another body just by, by listening. And I know that may not sound intuitive, but when you're just touching another person in, in a form of movement that's not mm, structured or uh, intended, when you're just following the flow of where, where energy is leading you and what what connects to what, following, uh, the, the lines of your body. It's an amazing uh, journey. Um, I can't say I'm very good at it yet. I'm still, I still think way too much. I, I am worried about, you know, oh God, where's my hand going? And oh my, I, ah, I'm, uh, carrying him now on my back and oh no, I'm flying off of his back and blah. Uh, um, but it was super fun and I really enjoyed it. And then at the end of the class, there was a big, um, a big improvisation where there were three different groups of two people and uh, and people ch- sort of swap in and, and do a lot of contact improv, just dancing with each other. And then another person will come in and it'll be a three, three people dancing together. And then the first person will leave, and then the second and third, and then a fourth person will come and the second person will leave. It was just a great experience. And these classes are open to anyone. If you're interested in attending any of these contact improv classes, just head down to the Western Front, um Eden uh, to the Eden uh location. I'm sure uh, if you don't know where that is, it's uh right near Main and uh Broadway. Just off of oh, I'm forgetting the address now. I could look it up on the uh on the website, but uh but yes, uh, you can attend these classes for $10 at 10 a.m. Monday through Friday at the Western Front. Edom, Peter Bingham, check it out. And tonight, try and celebrate uh, International Dance Day in whatever way you can. It's a great day. Dancing is part of humans, the hum- the wonder that is human society and uh, artistry. So uh, express yourself. Uh, Whitney Houston won, so she did. Bobby Brown may not have been the best... Uh, dancing partner, but but she wanted to dance with somebody, so she did. And I encourage you to everyone out there as well. All right, now for another musical selection, Brantford's boisterous band of busybodies Obijou, are hitting the stage tonight at the Biltmore for a sold-out concert alongside Blast Sorry, um, and. Uh, to continue with my mu- musical dedications to friends who have who have left or are leaving Vancouver for opportunities abroad, this track is dedicated to my absentee roommate Francis, who is currently touring around Bosnia and Eastern Europe in search of story ideas. So here's hoping he comes home safe and sound, Francis. This track is called St. Francis. It's by Obijou on CITR 101.9 FM. Welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm Tracy Fuller, and it is just after 5.30 here in Vancouver. Thank you again for joining me. Last Wednesday, I headed down to the Firehall Arts Centre to catch the premiere of Thompson Highway's play Ernestine Shuswap Gets Her Trout. The play is a landmark in Canadian theatre. It's a story about Aboriginal history in BC, and this is the first time Ernestine Shuswap Gets Her Trout has been performed in Vancouver, and it's the first time the play has featured an all-star, all-Aboriginal cast. Kim Harvey is one of the four women who acts in this outstanding production and some of you may remember Kim from her school days here at UBC or from theater at UBC's productions like Thompson Highways the Rest Sisters and Tony Kushner's Adipic. I spoke with Kim Harvey earlier today and here's our conversation. Kim Harvey is a UBC Theatre School alumni, and she's now acting in the Firehall Arts Centre's production of Ernestine Shuswap Gets Her Trout by Thompson Highway. She's made some time in her schedule today to join us here on the Arts Report. Kim, thank you so much for being here.
8: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: No worries. Now, for people out there who are listening who may have heard about the production but don't know much about it, can you tell us a little bit about the story and the role that you play?
8: Yeah, not a problem. Um, Ernestine's New Show Up, Gets Her Trout, is uh, played by Thompson Highway, probably one of the best Canadian playwrights uh, in history. Mm-hmm. Um and the play takes place in 1910 in the Kamloops, Thompson area, Okanagan uh, territories. Mm-hmm. And it takes place uh, all in one day. It starts in the morning and it ends uh, at the night. And it's about um, in 1910 when uh, the chiefs came together, when uh, the prime minister, Sir Wilfred Laurier, was coming to sign what is now called the Laurier Memorial, mm-hmm. which actually ended up being uh, the chiefs unknowingly and really confused about signing away their rights to fish, hunt uh, to their land, and basically the conglomerate of making the reserves in this area. Mm. And it uh, combines four women, and it's all from the women's perspective of what's going on in the day, what needs to be done, who is this, as we call it in the play, the great big kahuna of Canada, mm. and what's going to happen to the women and the people of this area. So um, it deals with these four women's uh, stories about how they're dealing with it and the, 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 the dynamics between them. And the character I play is Delilah Rose Johnson, who um, is 21 years old and she's three months pregnant, and she's actually the first Indian girl in this area, the Thompson River Valley, to marry a white man. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place, because she's having to decide whether she needs to agree with her people and go with that, or or stay with her husband, and her family's pressuring her, and she gets put in, I don't want to give too much away, a really Mm -hmm. hard position that pushes her to the brinks of a lot of A lot of situations mentally and physically,
0: so, yeah. Uh, Raising a lot of really important issues and a lot of really good questions in the story regarding the society and the way that that history was changing in that point in Canada's um, time.
8: Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because it takes place in one day, and that always gets me that it's this one day that all of this happens so to see the women, and you really as an audience, to go through this journey of what was that day like? And it's always like, man, I'm alive. It's really, it's really interesting to play that day out.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's also incredibly interesting because in the history books, I mean, a lot of men's history is recorded, but we don't necessarily hear the women's side, and there weren't women sitting at this uh, round table with the great big kahuna. And, and yeah, that's not exactly. the story that, that, or the broader story, which... It has to do with the food and the land and the way of life, which I think the play really brings forward.
8: Yeah, and it's interesting to see how, how much impact that women actually did have on their men, because we do reference a lot of men in the play mm-hmm. but to see how a woman's life has changed in all of this and what goes, what goes on in that kind of environment and how the relationship with your husband and, and how much these women do really, really know what's going on, because a lot of times in Aboriginal uh, cultures, it was a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. So as much as the men had power, women were a really big influence as well and were very educated and had a lot of influence on their husband and what was going on in the community.
0: Definitely. I think stepping back for a moment when you when people think of Thompson Highway's career, a lot of people are more familiar with his earlier plays like um, Dry Lips Ought to Move to Capus Casing and The Res Sisters, which played here at UBC last year and which used you, you were a part of that yeah. uh, cast. I, I have to ask what it what it must be like for you. Um, being here in this next step of Thompson Highway's career, but going from the Rez Sisters, which is also a very uh, matriarchal women's perspective play, to this play. What's it been
8: like for you? Well, Thompson Highway writes women so beautifully. I feel so privileged to, so early on in my career, to have done two Thompson Highway plays because he writes them so beautifully. And coming from such strong women and being on stage right now with other Aboriginal women and comparing to UBC, which was probably one of my most memorable productions to date other than this one I do believe because we did it with a, a, a multi-diverse ethnic cast. Mm-hmm. So there was a Japanese, black, white, Scottish, and that was really interesting to see how that played out because I was like, wow, this is going to be really interesting because he writes Native women so well. Mm-hmm. How is everyone going to take them on? And then coming into this one and seeing, wow, this we missed some stuff, but in the other production we had more because of the diversity, but in playing these two characters, Maria Dell, the character I played, and Delilah Rose, because Thompson writes musically, he'll mm. score a piece, and then he'll put the characters to those notes. Mm. So if you do your homework and you find out what note you're playing, you'll find your rhythm, and you'll find out how you fit in the play. And Maria Dell and Delilah are actually quite similar in notes. They mm. kind of parallels a lot of characters with just different situations and different stories, so it was kind of funny when I got Delilah, because I was thinking, mm-hmm. wow, they're really similar, but I, I can I just felt so privileged to play them, I just, I can't say enough about Thompson, and I can't say enough about the opportunities that, the courage that EBC had to put out Red Sisters, mm-hmm. one, Jerry Wasserman was so courageous in doing that, and he felt so compelled to do that, and then for the fire hall to do a play, uh, like you were saying, one of his more recent ones. Um, to do that and give me the opportunity as such a young actor, who's not even well, about a year out of school now. So, <laughs>
0: well, I, it's an amazing production, and uh, one thing that I I really wanted to to get your perspective on was the learning process. I remember last year you talked about. Um, in, you had an on-stage um, discussion within the audience um, mm-hmm. Jerry Wasserman hosted and people were talking a lot about the learning process the actors who didn't come from uh, an Aboriginal background uh, mm-hmm. and how they, they came about this story and how they took on the story and how that's different now that you are in a, an, a cast that is entirely composed of Aboriginal what has the, the learning process or the, the way through the story has it been different?
8: Um, it's been extremely different. Um, the thing about this play that I was really excited about is that this is the first time it's been done in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and this is actually the first time this play has been done with an all-Aboriginal cast. The last time it was done, uh, they cast some, non- some non-Natives some as well. Really. So I was really excited to say that this is like the Canadian premiere of full cast of Aboriginal women. So with that, again, alone I felt really privileged to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> excuse me, Working with Tantu Cardinal, who's like a legend. When I heard gonna... that she, when she was in, when I heard <laughs> she was in this, I was like, the first day I was like, it's so nice to meet you. And then I had to get over that because I was like, the work needs to be done. But mm-hmm. the process, the way Aboriginals learn, it's very different, and which is why I kind of. It's interesting with education, because this type of structural education was put on aboriginals, but we'd learn differently. It's Mm -hmm. very sensory, it's very listening, and I found myself being so eager and talking so much and asking questions when I'd look around and everyone was just sitting in thought and letting the story just be absorbed into them. And instead of rambling on for a couple minutes about stuff and ideas, in two minutes, we'd all be at the same idea, just by looking at each other and listening and going back to the script. So... It was really a beautiful process, and having Tantu and Lauren Cardinal and Tracy and Helena, these because I think the, t- the closest in age to me is 10 years, so I was really young and I was really listening. I said, you know what, Kim, go into this process and absorb, 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 because mm-hmm. these people know a lot, and they were so giving, and there were a lot of questions I had, especially because it being a period piece
3: mm-hmm.
8: about how uh, religion was such an influence, and how I didn't really understand how that could be so important, and the stories that were and the anecdotes that they gave to me to say. I think this is where you're at, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a story and then come into the scene mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, so it was a lot of light bulb moments, but a lot of just being really respectful and listening to the story and to the other actors and and because we had we had a trouble in the rest of just getting the rhythm mm-hmm. when Cantu starts speaking, you just you feel it she sat she talks like she's she's in a river, and you just you get that beat going, and then she just carries the play along and mm-hmm to work with her and to find that rhythm, and you can feel it, you can feel the energy. It's been very, a very visceral experience.
0: Definitely. I, I can't help but think about the the cultural inheritance uh, for both the audience and for you guys within as the actors in the play. I mean, the story, um, the play itself is trying to uh, recall a period of history that was, Neglected, I think, um, hmm. by a lot of people, and the, its importance, and just seeing the generations being this story being passed down to generations of audiences, as well as through your the play of Tantu Cardinal and of all the all of you you guys informing each other and um, learning from that, and from the play as well. It's just hmm. it's a really special performance. It's difficult to to characterize it until people go out there and see yeah.
8: it. It's that, it's, that, it's that verbal communication it's that that age-old aboriginals told stories verbally and we all sat there and listened and i think that's what really hit me about acting is that act one is not as necessarily physical action driven but it's the stories it's, mm-hmm. it's the words and last night it was so cool we had a blind man come in and i was like oh wow that's really interesting and we had a really great show a really great audience and the first person to stand up for our curtain call was the blind man oh, wow. he had just like and he had said such a connection to the story and he heard it and I think mm. that's that's true to Thompson's ability to really tell a story yeah. so that was really exciting
0: amazing have mm-hmm. have you, have has your family had a chance to come and see the production yet they
8: haven't actually they're coming on Friday but oh. my parents are of the the house of because they were part of like the horrendousness of uh what happened with residential schools and acting, Mm -hmm. and they were really hard workers, and they left. They kind of feel like acting is very frivolous, Mm. but I did a a production at Presentation House, and they thought, okay, and then they heard that I was doing this, and it's like, okay. So imagine in about 10 years, they're (laughs) really going to support me (laughs) what I'm doing and stuff, but they're excited. I said, you know what? I told my family, you're going to get this. This is our people. You see you hear it and you feel it and you feel at home when you're in the audience and, and I feel like when people of other diversity that are coming too they feel that as well they say wow this is a story I really am happy that I heard
0: absolutely mm-hmm. and I, is do you know if Thompson Highway will be coming
8: I'm not sure if he is that man is always busy playing the piano on it's the Mediterranean true. Sea he's got <laughs> well, last year he was I believe he was in South America when the rest of his <laughs> Yeah, was this he, 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 <laughs> he's always out doing his thing which mm. you know what? props to him yeah. he's living a beautiful life and he deserves it definitely
0: <laughs> Uh, The the last thing I wanted to ask about was definitely how this is – previous uh, Thompson Highway plays – were set closer to his home in northern Ontario, and uh, are set in a very different landscape. But this one actually takes place in Vancouver's own backyard. And yeah. and how, does, how has that resonated with you and with audiences, bringing this story to the stage for the first time in Vancouver as an yeah. all-Aboriginal cast?
8: When you reference things like eating salmon like the rest of us, and here in BC, and we mentioned Victoria, people automatically have that kind of visceral connection to home. Like, wow, this is not Toronto, this is not Ottawa, this is right here. So it's kind of been fun to see what kind of perks up the audience when we talk about that, and for me personally, I'm actually part Okanagan, Mm. so it's been such an honor to play in part of my territory, being like, this story happened here, and I got to learn so much about my actual background, and and knowing people go to the Shushwap, uh, Okanagan... You know, they go to those areas, they drive through during the summer saying, you know what, next time you drive through, remember the story.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
8: think it really has an impact on people and the fact that, yeah, it's, Thompson wrote this out of his own territory and, and he's paying homage to what actually happened here. And I think people really enjoy that. It makes them feel like they're a little bit more connected and, and have a little bit more understanding of, of what actually happened in this province.
0: Definitely. So the run has been extended to May 9th, and you are yeah. getting packed houses and mm-hmm. standing ovations almost every night.
8: I'm so excited. I'm having so much fun. Can, <laughs>
0: is there anything on your can, that could top this? I mean, on your horizon, what's I, next? I, How can you I really, go? I, I
8: can't. You know what? I could die a happy girl. I can to do doing a Thompson Highway play. You know what? I just There's a lot of it. It's, give, it's a total confidence booster, but it's also when we give our, our pre-show hugs and we say good luck, I feel like, wow. I just am so lucky. So I don't know what's next. We'll see. Generals are happening, and you never know when the city's going to do more Aboriginal content, but I'd mm-hmm. love to do non-Aboriginal content. But for some reason, when you do something like this, like I said, Red Sisters, it just... It hits you in a way that your heart just feels like this is important. What I'm doing is important, actor or non-actor, this is a good story.
0: Absolutely. And from the audience's perspective, watching it is just a moving experience. Kim, you're just amazing on stage with all those other heavyweight actors. I mean, people (laughs) who who have been in the public eye for a long time. You guys hold your own. Each woman on stage, all four of you, are balancing this play so beautifully and I really would encourage everyone to get out so best of luck with the rest of the run thank you again for joining me
8: thanks Tracy thank you for having me
0: Ernestine Shoeswap gets her trout featuring Tantu Cardinal, Tracy Nepidnak, Quilima Sparrow and of course the wonderful UBC alumni Kim Harvey directed by Lauren Cardinal is on stage at the Firehall Arts Centre until May 9th so get your tickets while you still can Back to music. Two of Canada's indie musical heavyweights are coming to Vancouver this weekend. The Constantines and the Weaker Thens will play two sold-out shows at the Commodore Ballroom this Friday and Saturday night. I must begin with a track dedicated to my CBC radio-loving partner in crime, Amy Hadley, who will be returning to her home in Thunder Bay, Ontario, later on next week. Uh, She'll be returning to actually begin work at the Mother Corporation. She completed an amazing thesis in journalism on green marketing in the media. She's a brilliant and beautiful and talented woman who I'm going to miss terribly when she's gone. I'm also going to miss her cat, Haiku. So here's the weaker thens with Virtue the Cat Explains Her Departure on CITR 101.9 FM.
4: It had something to do with the rain leaching loamy dirt And the way the back lane came alive Half moon whispered go For a while I heard you Missing steps in the street And your anger pleading in an uncertain key Singing the sound that you found for me When the winter took the tips of my ears Found this noisy home and places to hide And when the voices die I emerge to watch abandoned machines After scrapping With the ferals And the tabby Let you brush My matted fur How I'd Knead into your chest While you were sleeping A shallow breeze
1: Are you a good witch or a bad witch?
5: On Wednesday, May 6th, join us for a night of great local music. CITR 101.9 and Discorder are bringing you a new monthly at the Astoria. Come down on the first Wednesday of every month. Our first night will feature new sensei, petroleum byproducts, and GR8 Doors are at 8 p.m., bands play at 9. That's at the redesigned, re-soundproofed, rehabilitated Astoria Hotel, 769 East Hastings, brought to you by Discorder and CITR 101.9 FM.
0: Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Tracy Fuller, and joining me in the CITR studio right now is Jordi Yao. Hi,
6: Tracy.
0: Hi, Geordie. Move a little bit closer. Okay. There we go. Um, Jordy is, of course, the editor of the Discorder, and I um, asked him to do a little bit of film reviewing for me this week, and uh, uh, he's come back with a report. Now, Jordy, what did you did I send you to see?
6: So uh, you sent me to see uh, "Died Young, Stayed Pretty," which it has a really misleading title. It's so mm. it's about um, rock posters, so mm. like uh, concert posters, which is it's a documentary, and it's um, uh, interviews. Uh, with people all across North America, um, who design, um, rock posters. Um, and there's a few interviews with people who are on the kind of periphery, but predominantly it's just like, this guy makes posters. This guy, this guy from this pair of people from Seattle make posters. Right.
0: So it's following like this cultural trend of, of, we're not talking about the kind of posters that just feature a picture of the band and like dates or names. It's about the events.
6: Right. Like, so, It's not about, like, posters that, like, you can buy at Imagine Us or wherever you buy Mm -hmm. your your posters. Zellers. (laughs) It's not, like, one that just says, like, Boy George. Right. And then you put it on your wall. It's stuff that, like, bands pay for to promote their concerts. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So... The the film is a documentary following sort of the different artists that it, that live both in Canada and the U.S. and mm-hmm. uh, the I understand the director spent a good three years going into people's homes and meeting these people.
6: Oh, it it shows. So she interviewed. Um, what's her name? Eileen Yagubian. Yagubian. Yeah, she was on your show. Yes, she was day. in the yeah. fall. Yeah, and um, she like spent she. There's so many interviews with like you. I didn't know that there were that many people yeah. who like made a career out of making posters and to be honest some of them probably don't make mm-hmm. a career out of it some of them are probably moonlighting they don't really get into that too much right um but yeah there's there's uh you can tell that there's a lot of a lot of interviews that took place
0: a lot of that. research going into it but does does the story hold together does the movie hold together as a whole um it
6: it it's really good for like 45 minutes when you can still sort of be like amazed just by like all the posters and like all the, how interesting the people are, but it kind of fell apart towards the end in that there's no real, there's not, no real structure to mm. the film. It's just sort of like a series of, how do they write it? Abstract meanderings connecting a bunch of interviews. Which ah. it, like it's, they're interesting. They're really interesting mm. people. And the subjects is, the subject is really interesting if you like posters, right? Um, which I do. Mm. Um, but if you, but if you want, like, some analysis or, like, some mm-hmm. sort of insights into it aside from, like, what you're going to get just from, like, seeing a bunch of, like, interesting people talk, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get it out Yeah,
0: of before the movie. When we were talking about it before, you said that there's a lot of, like, little links. Someone will mention George Bush, and then yeah. we'll go to another artist who mentions George Bush. But the links between the artists and connecting the dots throughout the plot... To
6: be, to, like, to be honest, I don't think that it was really well thought out about how she would structure it I just Mm. it sort of seems like in on the editing room floor it was sort of like editing and then like started with one thing and then just sort of Mm -hmm. found a connection to the next like as soon as you could find an interesting connection to the next thing that would sort of be where it would jump in and then it wasn't really yeah
0: I I wonder sometimes about documentary films because there's so many like little niche projects and Mm -hmm. cool things out there that I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. That would make a great documentary film, Mm -hmm. but there really, honestly, does need to be a storyline or some sort of through some climax, a place that the movie goes to. Well,
6: to be honest, it's 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 like slightly a matter of taste. Um, Like some people might really like this style of documentary Mm -hmm. footage because it's really. it doesn't like the there's no like narrative or like narrator who's mm-hmm. like coming in and saying this is what you should learn from this, which is what some people think is like oh, that's like biased documentary filmmaking, like Michael right. more stuff. Right, like, right, right. And and it's like more honest this way because mm-hmm. you're just presenting your subjects as much as you can, but I don't know, like I, I think that's kind of BS, okay, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. And like it's like the the filmmaker is making choices like Mm -hmm. conscious choices of like what interviews are going to show like three years of footage like what interviews are going to show and right what like posters are going to show and stuff like that and there there is a lot of really interesting things like i didn't know that there was a big trend in octopus um Mm. posters or uh like there's like a lot of um zombie themed posters and stuff Mm. like that so yeah and this is sort of like you can sort of see all these connections like which like in vancouver just looking around you wouldn't notice mm-hmm. as often
0: yeah connecting the dots of this this type of artistry cuz cuz it really does take innovation and good ideas and you mentioned one of the poster makers uses an old like wood block printing press and mm-hmm. like it's a real art doing this this styling the posters and maybe perhaps the artists wouldn't have even known of each other without this movie or you mentioned there's a website.
6: Yeah, there's a website called which sort of uh, apparently spurred the the process for the movie. It's called um gigposters.com mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and it's run by a guy in calgary called uh clayton hayes who just wanted to document like every gig poster that he could find hmm. um and so they he sort of built a little bit of a community up around that right. uh, where people can like look at each other's posters mm-hmm. um and i don't know if if you check it out like you can i think it's i'm pretty sure it's still up mm-hmm. so to be honest i haven't looked
0: Yes, and Eileen uh, has a lot of stuff up on her own website, and if if you look up, the film is distributed on Films We Like, uh, the Films We Like label. It's uh, www. like. dot com, and I actually have a a copy of the film to give away. So if you're interested in in getting your own copy of Died Young, Stayed Pretty, give me a call at CITR one hundred one point nine FM, and I'll I'll pass it along to you. Um, are there is there any sort of closing notes you want to? To end on Jordy.
6: Um, it's it's really interesting to watch. I to be honest, I would watch it in two sittings. Mm-hmm. Um, I had trouble uh, concentrating after about the first half. Right. But it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, if you're interested in post like rock posters at all, like if you go down the street and you're like, oh, that's a neat poster, and you kind of want to put it up on your wall, or if you do take them down and put them on your wall, then like yeah, this would be an interesting sort of this would be an interesting movie to watch. And, Absolutely, it's, it's definitely for people with specific interests. So.
0: Totally. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you, Jordy, so much for reviewing this. I want to plug the new issue of Discorder, which has just hit the stands today.
6: Um, It's actually only available at CITR right now. Oh, really? uh, It's it's not even May 1st yet. Oh. But by May 1st, it'll be everywhere.
0: Everywhere, Everywhere. people. So, those of you listening to this uh, broadcast on podcast, perhaps it's already dead and gone. It's years after the fact and yes
6: because we will be people will be listening to us in like a year from oh, now.
0: absolutely this is this is archiving of its own
6: yes yeah.
0: all right thanks Jordy
6: no problem thanks Tracy
0: all right and that brings me to another the end of another episode of the arts report thank you so much for tuning in Uh, If you want to send a comment off or get your copy of Died Young, Stayed Pretty, you can write to me at arts, A-R-T-S, at C-I-T-R dot C-A. I check my email almost every day, so uh, give me a call. That'll be great. And uh, until next week, stay pretty, don't die young, and uh, enjoy all the beautiful music that is uh, going on. This afternoon and this weekend and dance up a storm tonight. It's International Dance Day. Uh, Have a good one. Leaving you here with a PSA on CITR 101.9 FM.
5: On May 12, 2009, B.C. is faced with a provincial election. Students should vote. When we speak up, they will listen.
6: Vote for candidates who support a reduced tuition to increase access to better education, better transit, and adequate funding to universities. On May 12, vote in
0: the B.C. elections.
6: This is a message brought to you by the AMS External Office, authorized by the AMS, registered sponsor under the Elections Act, 604-822-2050.
1: Are you a good witch, or a bad
5: witch? On Wednesday, May 6th, join us for a night of great local music. CITR 101.9 and Discorder are bringing you a new monthly at the Astoria. Come down on the first Wednesday of every month. Our first night will feature New Sensei, Petroleum Byproducts, and GR82000. Doors are at 8pm, bands play at 9. That's at the redesigned, re rehabilitated Astoria Hotel. 769 East Hastings. Brought to you by Discorder and CITR 101.9 FM. Rifts from Rifts by Dennis Lee. I wanted you to be my jazz music, I wanted you in hey hop a love, I wanted plonk and longing all to come home in the bush of your pubic hair, the sweet and silly ride of loving like two wolves in the gooseberries, I wanted you to be my apple juice, my Oreo cookie, the belly button of our smiles. But you didn't want to play, so soon attuned to ecstasy, for a poet it's the hundred-yard dash to love, oh God, or heartbreak, and now I am the flakes off your skin that get success on a good day when they manage to stick to your sweater.